Good morning. The scripture reading for this morning is Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It no longer is good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's ask the Lord to help us. God, we want you to empower our um, mouth, um, our lives, our hearts so that we could be motivated to be able to share the good news of this gospel that has just transformed our lives. And we need today to hear from you. We've uh, been away from this body of believers now for uh, seven days, and it's time for us to be realigned to your priorities, to your heart, to what it is that you want us to think and to do and to be. And so we pray that you'd come now and um, create within us the motivation, the desires, and the energy through which we'll then be able to share the gospel in the next week. And we're asking you to do that because we want to be the kind of folks who are passionate about this good news. So help us today, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this four-week series, I'm asking you to pray what is probably a risky personal, and yet also potentially transforming prayer. That prayer goes something like this. Lord, would you open a door? Would you open my mouth? And would you open their heart? It's to be able to say, God, in the midst of all the other things that I'm doing in life, I'm asking for you to open a door. When you open that door, then give me the boldness to walk through that door and to be able to open my mouth to be able to share the good news, even just a a short little gospel presentation, whatever it is. And then, God, I'm going to trust you that you're the one who's going to open their heart. Believing that you cannot mess up a gospel presentation. Even if you completely botch it, God's still sovereign. He can still fix it. So go ahead. There's no risk, at least not sovereignly. Um, you can share the gospel, and um, God is the one who is responsible for opening people's hearts. So we're asking you in these days to be able to think and pray about this matter of personal evangelism because we as elders believe that this subject, personal evangelism, is the most likely thing to help us in all of our area of of our spiritual growth to really grow personally. Uh, Sharing the gospel is probably the riskiest thing that we do. And in that, you'll pray more intentionally, you'll study the Bible more specifically, you'll ask people to pray for you more frequently when you're sharing the gospel. And so that's what we're wanting. We want you to grow up into what it means to be a fully mature follower of Jesus Christ. One of the reasons why, frankly, you need to have people pray for you is because you can't do this journey alone. In fact, um, you need to have community 
small group or an ABF class, it, it really becomes very clear and evident when you're trying to share the gospel because you're, you're saying, brothers and sisters, would you pray for me? I've had an opportunity to share Christ or I'm longing for an opportunity to share Christ. And so we need each other. We need to be able to be bold in the gospel and we need to say, God, would you help us in this area uh, of uh, personal growth that we could be everything that you want us to be? Last week we talked about the subject of applying the gospel. Uh, what it means to have a motivation that doesn't come from guilt, but rather comes from an affection that you love the gospel, you love what it's doing in your life, you love the way that it's transformed you, and the more you meditate on it, the more you think about it, the more you process it, the more likely you are to share that. And I know uh, some of you have had opportunities even to share the gospel this week. You've um, told me about it or sent one of our staff an email. Today we're talking about what it means to live the gospel, and then next week after that um, we're going to talk about what it means to share the gospel, five key words of how to be able to present the gospel quickly and succinctly. And then we'll end this series on uh, Resurrection Sunday talking about what the power of the gospel is all about. We're going to celebrate the gospel together and seeing just the way in which the gospel is able to transform our lives. So if you're here today and you don't know the gospel, you don't know what we're talking about uh, today, we're talking about what it means to share this good news that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners among whom I am the foremost, as the Apostle Paul said. In other words, it means that we are all the biggest sinners that we know, because we know what we've done. And the beautiful message of the gospel is that God has sent Jesus to pay the atonement for our sins. And when that message is received, you're not only forgiven, you're changed forever. In fact, the Bible also tells us that this gospel is meant to transform the world. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What does it mean to to live out the gospel such that it transforms the world? So when you have an opportunity to share Christ, and it's just an awesome story, there's a desire to tell someone, isn't there? I mean, we love to share the stories of how God has worked. And so we've created an email address. So if you have something that happens to you that you'd love just to share, we'd love to hear and be encouraged. Send us an email at evangelismstory@yourchurch.com, and uh, we would love just to know the, the reality of what God is doing in your life. We'll be encouraged and we'll grow together. So today we're going to look at Matthew 5, and there are two key metaphors in the text. And even if you're not all that familiar with the Bible, my guess is you've probably heard once or twice in your lifetime the idea of being salt of the earth or the light of the world. And those metaphors come right out of Matthew chapter 5, a section of scripture where Jesus is talking about the values of the kingdom or what it means to walk in righteousness and godliness as part of what likely is this most significant body of teaching in all of the New Testament, that being the Sermon on the Mount. And in the, in the context of this sermon that Jesus delivered where he's talking about what true righteousness is he he brings in these two metaphors of salt and light and he doesn't say you are like salt or you are like light he says you are salt you are light meaning this is the purpose of your existence in the world so he uses these two metaphors in order to describe what a believer is supposed to be like, what a follower of Jesus is really supposed to do in terms of their engagement with the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And what's interesting is that both of these metaphors he uses to serve as the motivation so you'd know what your role is, but also he describes the fact that that these metaphors, when they malfunction, if the salt isn't salty or the light is hidden, Jesus basically says, then what's the point? 
In other words, there's a reason why God has placed you in the world if you're a follower of Jesus. There's a reason that he's put you where you are. And to not embrace that role, to not grab a hold of the reason why God has put you there, is to really miss the whole point of what the gospel is in the first place. And so we're going to talk about these two metaphors and see what we can learn today and how we can be motivated. And then at the end, even just to respond, to say, Lord, I... I want to change in regards to my motivation for evangelism. We're going to give you a tangible way to respond today. So here's the first metaphor, that in verse 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So notice that Jesus doesn't just say that they're salt, but he says that we are salt of the earth. So he has in mind a, a vast, sweeping, global influence. The idea is in the midst of this environment of the earth, there are these people who have been placed, while their influence may seem to be small by virtue of the number or the size, the effect of their presence in the world is supposed to be sweeping and significant. That Jesus has strategically placed his followers in positions so that they can affect the whole, that they are salt of the earth. In Jesus' time, salt was used in order to prevent decay. So salt was used in order uh, to be a bit of a preservative. So in the midst of something that's sort of decaying and devolving, you put salt in it or around it in order to preserve it. And Jesus says, that's what you're like. That's what you are like. You are the preservative influence in the culture. And as well, salt also, just like in our day, was used to um, increase the flavor of food. You ever had something great that you're eating, and you're like, you know what, this would be great. Green beans by themselves, they're pretty good. But you add salt, oh, now they're really good, right? So salt makes just about everything taste just a little bit better, doesn't it? Um, you have salt, so it increases the flavor. It, it, it adds context, if you will. It increases the capacity for enjoyment. And so in the same way, Jesus says that as his followers, they are those who are put into the world in order to both prevent decay and to increase the flavor, if you will, of that culture. So the idea is that Jesus says that we are to go into the world and as a result of our presence in the world, that the world should be different because of the fact that we're there. Now, if you were to look at other passages, you you would notice that somehow this idea of a salt metaphor is connected to relationships. Uh, Specifically, I think what Jesus is saying is the way in which you conduct yourself in the world as it relates to relationships around you, it should have a preservative influence or a flavoring effect. In other words, that your presence in the world should actually make the world better or different. Mark chapter 9, Jesus says this, this is verse 50, Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? And then he says this, Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Notice the relationship context. Another text is uh, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5. I have it here on the screen. Notice the connection between salt and and how we conduct ourselves in relationships. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious. Boy, that's a hard one, isn't it? Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. 
The idea is, is that there's something different about you because you're a follower of Jesus. And when you conduct yourself in the culture, that there's going to be something that the world would look at and realize, man, there's something about you that is unique. In terms of the relationships that we have in the world, Jesus is in effect saying here that we are to add divine flavor to life. That the followers of Jesus have a God-given ability to be a part of the preservation of culture. So I hope you understand what this means. The, the implications of this, frankly, are sweeping and significant. It means that every arena in which God has placed you in, you are there strategically in order to either A, preserve the culture by virtue of God's design, or increase the flavor of those relationships such that they, they reflect God's ultimate divinely intended purposes. That we are, in effect, divine agents having been deployed into the world in order to bring God's kingdom into those relationships and those environments. So think of just where God has placed you. He's placed you there not for the reasons that everybody else is there. He's put you in your career, in your neighborhood, in your dorm room. He's put you in your gym, your school, your swim club, your family, and a thousand other areas of life. And why are you there? Do you know why you're there? You are not there just to be there. You are not there for the reason that everybody else is there. You are there in order to bring the aroma of the gospel into every area of life. Just imagine with me what's going to happen on Monday morning as we are deployed into a million different areas within our city. And in every case, you're taking the beautiful aroma of the gospel into that environment and you are not there just to work, just to go to school, just to have relationships, just to buy something at Target, just to go to the restaurant and eat chips and salsa. You are there for a reason. You are there to bring the aroma and the flavor of Christ. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, meaning we've won, so go after it. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Just, Just savor that. To spread the knowledge of him everywhere, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. The implications of this should be obvious, but let me just be sure you understand this. Brothers and sisters, we have a different mission than the rest of the world. There's an entirely different purpose when you engage in the world and in our culture. You're not at your work just to earn a living. You're not in college just to get an education. You're not at school just to be able to graduate. You're not hanging out with friends just to have a good time. You're not just raising kids so they won't ever embarrass you. You're not just saving for retirement so you have money at the end of life. You're not even just going to the park just to go to the park. You know why you're there? You are the aroma of Christ. God has placed you in the world to transform the world. This is a gospel. The gospel is not just what God saved us from. That's part of it. The gospel is that God, through Christ, has saved us from our sins and saved us from the penalty of our sins expressed in eternal torment and hell. That is part of the gospel, a very important part of the gospel. But God intends now for this gospel message to transform the world, to transform the culture. And the reality is, if your mission in life isn't transformational, then the question is, do you really understand what the gospel is in the first place? 
It's not just designed to help you know where you're going to go when you die so you can feel safe and secure and be, and know that you're forgiven. The gospel is not just to make you feel happy and know what's going to happen when you're going to die. It makes you happy, sure, and it helps you know where you're going to go when you die, but the gospel was meant to transform the world. That's what Jesus said. Pray, Father, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And sure, there's a future kingdom coming when Jesus is going to reign and make everything right. I get that. I understand that. But there is a foretaste that God wants to come right here, right now. The gospel was not meant for us just to hoard it so we could be happy and we could be satisfied and we could feel safe. The gospel was meant to transform the world and God put things in the Bible like nothing can separate you from the love of God. He put that in the Bible, not so you could have a nice little plaque in your home or so you could feel safe watching TV. He put that in the Bible so you take risky steps and know no matter what happens to you, God still has you in order for you to transform and to make a difference in the world. So Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. I want you to realize that when you leave the sanctuary, you are sent out into the world and you have a mission. Your goal is not to survive between now and next Sunday. Your goal is not to hunker down and hide. Your goal is to get out, get in the world, and preach the gospel and help it be transformed. We are salt of the earth. Here's the problem, though. And that is our commitment to this tends to leak. We, we, we tend to get in the normal, everyday pace of life, and we can forget, you know what, I'm not here just to have a career. I'm not here just to make money. I'm not here just to raise kids. I'm not here just to make it through another day, to go home, sit down, and relax. I am here to make a difference in the world, to be part of God's mission, to transform the world. I'm salt of the earth. Second metaphor, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Now, the image of light is significant in that it implies that there's darkness. I mean, a light really isn't that useful unless there is darkness. And Jesus says that his disciples, the followers of him, those who've received Christ, are to be darkness-dispelling lights. And if the light functions properly, it's going to be displayed. In the same way that salt is salty, it's going to do what it's designed to do. But Jesus says if the salt loses its saltiness, so what's the point? And the the implication being, if you're just going to hunker down and think that the gospel is just about you and your salvation and knowing where you're going, where you're dying, what use is that? And to be a light, same thing. God says, in effect, in his word, look, the light is meant to be be something that's shown out into the world. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Then he says this, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So the implication is if it's a light and if it's doing what it's supposed to be doing, then it's going to be seen, it's going to be broadcast, it's it's going to be displayed. And then he says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. I mean, that just makes sense, right? Why would you turn a light on only to go and cover it up? Why would you turn a light switch on and then go unscrew the light bulb? It doesn't make any sense. A light is designed to shine. I mean, it sounds like you should maybe have a song about this, right? right? Something that goes, um, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Fast forward. Hide it under a bushel. Oh, that was lame. Your kids did so much better. Ready? Try it again. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to see it. Got it. You know what I'm saying? What Jesus is talking about here is the fact that hiding it under a bushel is just ridiculous. Why would you do that? To hide it under a bushel means that you have, in effect, 
negated the very purpose of the light in the first place. To hide the gospel, to not take the gospel into the darkness, to keep the light to ourselves, it just doesn't even make any sense. It's as silly or as stupid as taking a light and putting it under a basket. The answer is no, of course you wouldn't do that. And then Jesus goes on in verse 16 and he says this, in the same way, in the same way, in the same way what? In the same way that light is broadcast into the world, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, Jesus is not talking about parading your good works so that people will see you and then think you're awesome, seeing your good works or somehow giving you honor. What he's talking about, though, is the real presence of good, godly living in the world such that people would look at your life and go, what motivates you to be like this? That they would see your friendliness, the way in which you engage with people, the way you're concerned about people around you, that the fact that they would see, you know what, you're not in this job just for a career. People around you actually are important and matter to you. You're not in this neighborhood just for safety and for rest. They would see that, you know, you're here in college and you're different than everybody else in the fraternity or the sorority. You live in this apartment building as a single person and you, you know what, you've got a completely different mindset than everybody else. And when they ask you, what is so different about you? Listen to me, you gotta hit that ball. When that slow slider comes at you, if a slider is easy to hit, I don't know, I'm not a baseball player, but if that slow fastball, if that slow pitch. <laughs> all right, so if you're driving down the lane and uh, it's wide open and you got a layup, and now I'm back on my script. So you go ahead and hit that thing or dunk it if you can't or you're used to, right? So just go ahead and put that ball down, man. Throw it down. Someone says to you, what makes you so different? You've got to swing at that. You've got to dunk that thing. You gotta kick that goal. You gotta hit that ping pong. Whatever. You just gotta hit it. You know what I'm saying? Somebody sees your life that's so different, you just gotta go for it and realize, God, here's my door. Now open my mouth. The idea is this. Friends, we are not in the world just to be in the world. God didn't put you in this city, in this time period, in your family, in your neighborhood, and in your job just so you could make money, have kids, get married, have some sort of career at the end, hang out with your friends, just get an education. He put you where he put you so you could be salt and light in the world. One of the reasons that we're having this serve with a friend weekend on April 27th is because there's something really powerful when people are able to see believers using their God-given gifts and making a difference in the community. The goal is not just to work together. That's, that's, that's the platform. You know what we want to do? We want to build bridges of grace that can bear the weight of truth. We're not interested in doing good just to do good. We're not doing good for good's sake alone. We're doing good for gospel's sake. To give a platform that when people would say, you know what, you seem to really care about people. You really seem to care about our city. You seem to really care about this particular ministry. What gives with this? What is this motivation that then we've got an open door, that we've built a bridge of grace that can then bear the weight of truth? The gospel was meant to be transformative. Not just personally. It's not just meant to be something that transforms you or your family. The gospel was meant to transform the world. And therefore, we need to embrace a deployment mindset. Just think with me of what will happen Monday morning as all of us are deployed out into the world. And you're going into various walks of life. And you're bringing the gospel with you in the aroma of Christ. The reality is... 
Having people come to church, that's one way of evangelism. And that's nothing wrong with that. But you know what's even better? What's even better is you going out into the world and being deployed in Jesus' name and saying, you know what, I'm going to be the aroma, the fragrance of Christ. I'm going to be the salt of the earth. I am going to be the light to the world. And when the temptation comes to hide this under a bushel or a basket, I'm going to say, no, this is why I'm here. The gospel has transformed my life. So God, would you open a door? Would you open my mouth? And then would you open their heart? So friends, he not only saved you from something. Listen to me. He saved you to something. He not only saved you from your sins, he saved you to a mission to be salt and light in the earth. So the question that we've got to ask ourselves is this. So why are we here? When you look at your life, when you look at the purpose of the church, when you even think of the purpose of Sunday morning, why are you here? See, this is an important question for us to answer. What is the role of the church in the world? What is the role of a Christian in the world? What is your role in the world? And let me make it very personal. What is your role in the neighborhood? What's your role at your, at your marketplace, your, 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 your schooling? What, what's your role? Understanding how you view your role in the church is critical because it'll determine a number of things. It'll determine how you view the world and how you respond to it, and even what things you think need to be done strategically. I've just finished reading a great book called The Externally Focused Quest. The authors are Eric Swanson and um, Rick Rousseau, and they make the case that that a church needs to be internally strong but externally focused. And in that book, they describe different kind of mentalities when it comes to the church. And they suggest that there are two predominant views. And then they suggest that there's a third one that they think needs to be even more imperative in our thinking. You'll resonate with these. I did. The first predominant view of the church is what you would call the fortress church. Where that is, you view the the world as the enemy, and the church needs to protect itself from the world. Now granted, with each of these views, there's elements of truth in all of them, and certainly the church needs to be protected at one level from the world. But in another respect, you get too far into this fortress mentality, and pretty soon you start building up relational walls, and you're, you're hurling words over the, over the wall of the fortress church, saying, you people are in trouble, I bet you wish you were in here, and you're, you're stuck in the inside. And those kind of churches, and you may have grown up in one like that, I mean, people would be just shocked if any lost person ever came to church. I mean, the, the reason they have church is to protect them, to protect their kids, to, to, to run away from the world and be just hunker down and, and outlast the storm of the sinful world. The, the second view is the attractional church where the goal there is to get the church or get the world rather into the church or get the community into the church. And certainly there's a, there's a place for this. At one level, you always want to be aware that there could be non-Christians in your midst. In fact, I hope and pray there's non-Christians even on this Sunday gathering. But in an attractional model, you design everything in order to attract non-Christians. And so therefore, there's a, a desire to sort of impress those who are outside because... You know, people have kind of a negative view of church, and so you, you build church and ministry models around, we want people to think we're cool and hip and slick and, and impress them, so that when they come in, they don't think, well, you guys weren't nearly as boring or as stodgy as I thought you were. And this kind of attractional model, 
um, is uh, one that you, you, you design in order to help people to come into the church. So you have the fortress church and you have the attractional church. And again, there's elements of truth in both of those. But there's a third category and one that I've been thinking a lot about. It's called the incarnational church. And this model is taking the church and getting it into the community. Instead of it being a church in the community, the best church in the community, rather now it's asking how can we be the best church for the community? In order to be able to make this work, we need to deploy ourselves into the culture, into the world, and the church as a whole needs to think what difference are we really making in the world and the culture such that this question would be answered. If our church evaporated and went off the scene, would anybody in the world be sad or take note? Would there be areas of our city that would be worried? Oh no, College Park Church isn't around anymore. How in the world are we going to be able to meet the needs of, um, of foster kids? How are we going to be able to have food through the Midwest Food Bank? How are we going to be able to uh, deal with, um, with, with single moms and women in the community through heart change? What's going to happen to this ministry? You take away those things because College Park has left, suddenly now... The culture would stand up and say, wait a minute, you guys need to be around because you're doing some really, really good and important things. We need you. To be an incarnational church means that we don't just simply want to be a church that's in the community. We want to be a church that's for the community. Let me just dial that a little step deeper and connect it with the salt and light principle. It's this. So are you the best neighbor in the community or are you the best neighbor for your community? When it comes to your marketplace and the place where you work, are you the best employee in that business or are you a best employee for that business? Meaning that is your presence and your godliness and your righteousness and the gospel-centeredness of your life such that if you were taken out, there'd be people around you, lost people who don't even know what it means to be a follower of Jesus who would say, oh man, I can't believe you're leaving. What are we going to do without you? Who's going to pray for us? Who's really going to be concerned for people's needs? Who's going to get below the surface stuff? If you were to move out of your neighborhood, would people go, oh man, I'm going to really miss your dog? Or are they going to say, I'm going to miss you being here and being in this neighborhood? Because who's going to organize the, the, the neighborhood pitch-ins? Who's going to organize the, the, the homeowners association? You brought so much peace to the people who are arguing over what color their houses should be painting. Who's, who's going to help us with that stuff? You, you made a difference in this neighborhood. You see, the difference is that the gospel is not just a message you hurl over the wall it's something you bring into the home you bring into the neighborhood you bring into the business that you are the incarnational reality of the gospel to those people jesus says you're to be the salt and the light of the world the distinction is between whether or not you're interested in the church quote unquote or the kingdom here's a quote church people think about how to get people into the church again nothing wrong with that But kingdom people think about how to get the church into the world. Church people worry that the world might change the church. Kingdom people work to see the church change the world. And what I want to call you to do today, friends, is to be able to think about the possibility that exists within your realm of influence to be able to change the world. For you to be able to have a kingdom mindset, to be able to realize that at the end of the day, it is way too easy for us to slip into a daily existence where we just kind of go about the normal activities of life and we forget the fact that we are here for a different purpose than everybody else. And I feel this, and I'm sure that you do as well, that 
through the pace of life, through all the opportunities, the busyness of my schedule, even in ministry, it can become way too easy to be focused on just living one day after another and forgetting I am not here just to survive, just to live, just to make it. I am here because God has put the gospel in my soul and I am here to be salt and light in the world. A couple months ago, my wife on a Monday evening was getting ready for a class that she was teaching, a science class, and she had forgotten that she needed some key ingredients for the science experiment. She needed some Elka-Seltzer tablets. And um, so it was late. It was like 10 o'clock at night. I did a long day of ministry. I was really weary. And all I wanted to do that night was come home, grab a Diet Coke, eat some popcorn, watch the news, and go to bed. Anybody else resonate with that kind of little nirvana? I mean, that's mine right there, man. Give me Diet Coke, popcorn, news. I am good. That's all I wanted. As I'm coming home, thinking, oh, I cannot wait for popcorn, Diet Coke, and the news. Just want to sit. I'm dreaming of what it's going to be like. Silence in the home, little, little slippers on my feet, Afghan pulled up, snuggly, put a hood over my head, and I'm out, right? You know what I'm saying? You get the image, right? So then I hear her in the other room, and she needs Alka-Seltzer. And so I said, honey, um, let me go and get that. Um, I sounded really generous and really kind. I actually was rather begrudging it that I had to go out and do this. But she didn't know that until today. But anyway, so um, so I went out to get this Alka-Seltzer tablets, and I had my sweatshirt on and my sweatpants and my slippers. You know, so I, I looked like I was doing something before. And so here I am trying to go to Walgreens, looking for my Alka-Seltzer tablets, and I'm in, frankly, a little bit of a bad mood. Pity party. Lord, I've been serving you all day, and now i got to go out and get Alka-Seltzer tablets and just wish I didn't have to do this. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, right? And what does it matter anyways? It's fourth graders. Are they really going to learn science? You know, I'm running through all this stuff, right? <laughs> confessing my sins. And uh, so I get my Alka-Seltzer tablets. I push it across the uh, counter. The girl's checking me out. We, she said something I don't even remember. Frankly, she, she wasn't even there. I mean, she really wasn't. She just, you know, she was there, but she wasn't to me. I just wanted to get home, Diet Coke, popcorn, news, hoodie. Um, that's what I want. And as I slid it over to her, she looked at me and um, kind of broke me out of my bubble. And she said, do I know you? And I said, uh, uh um, 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 <laughs> I said, I don't, I don't know. She said, yeah. I, I said, oh, have you ever gone to like this church around the corner over here? And, and she said, yeah, you're the guy who talks up front all the time. I'm like, yeah, it's, that's, yeah. I said, I'm Mark, introduced myself and paid. We had a nice little exchange. So I got in the car, the Lord just smote me. You know, Mark, life's not about Alka-Seltzer tablets. It's not about Diet Coke or popcorn or having a long day and then you just want to do what you want to do. I'm putting you into the world, and whether it's a Walgreens run or whether it's preaching the gospel on a Sunday morning, you are to be salt and light in the world. It's so easy, isn't it? We just get stuck into this this, this pattern of living and survival. Got to go get my stuff, get it done. Reality is God's put us in the world in order to be salt and light, not just to be in the world. So what I want you to do today, what I'm calling you to do, friends, is to live strategically. I want you to think about where God has placed you. I want you to think about the realms in which you exist. Where are you going to be tomorrow? What are you going to do tomorrow? Where has God placed you? Do you know our, our recent survey gave us some a bit of alarming statistic? Do you know that 37% of us don't know our neighbors at all? 37%. And what's more, 60% of us don't know our neighbors well enough to have a conversation about spiritual things. Those are concerning statistics, things that we need to think about and pray about. And so what I'm asking you to do today is to think strategically. Let me give you some examples. I want you to find creative ways to get to know your neighbors. Walk around your neighborhood. Invite them to a backyard barbecue. 
I mean, pretty soon they're all going to come out of their houses when it gets warm, right? And you'll be like, hey, you do still live there. And wow, you're as pale as we are. Welcome to the sun, right? I mean, they're all going to come out. When your neighbors are working, you go help them. Help them rake their, their leaves, their yard. When they ask you to watch their dog, say, absolutely. We love watching dogs, even though you may not like a dog. And if their kids are selling stuff, they come over to your house. If it isn't illegal, buy it, right? And buy lots of it. Listen, when your kids join baseball or soccer or swim or tennis or the chess club or marching band, use the hours upon hours upon hours upon hours that you're sitting in lawn chairs watching soccer games that aren't really that good anyways and realize that you're not there to watch stellar soccer. You're there to build relationships with people who are on that team. Be the kind of person at work who really cares for people. Listen to me. You ought to do your job really, really, really well, but also get below the surface of people's lives. Talk to them. Ask how you can pray for them. Get to know them. Be the kind of person that really cares. Frequent the same places of business. Eat at the same restaurants. Build relationships with people around you. Go to the same restaurant and ask, Hey, is, is, is Daniel the server here today? We'd like to be at his table. And build those relationships. Learn to ask good questions. I found that people who think about good questions are able to ask really good questions. For instance, questions like, so what has your spiritual journey in life been like? Or what was the religious background of your childhood? The point is that you think about some good questions to ask because if you don't think about good questions, when the opportunity comes, you're going to ask a bad question. So think about good questions or join a discussion group, a, a book club or a play group. There's a retired church member that I've seen so many times at a Starbucks that I go to quite frequently. He was going there um, a couple times during the week and he saw a little coffee group of guys who were solving the world's problems, if you know what I mean. And it was clear they were solving the world's problems. So he asked if he could join their group. And now when I go to Starbucks and I see that brother sitting there, I pray for him because he's the lone evangelical in the midst of that group who's trying to bring the gospel to this little coffee clatch. The question is this, brothers and sisters, where has God placed you? What doors are right in front of you? What, what, what conversations are you asking God to, to give you in order so that you could say, God, here I am. I want you to open a door. Would you open my mouth and would you open their hearts? Lord, Lord Jesus, I want you to work in me that I'd love the gospel so I could share the gospel. Listen to me. God has placed you by no coincidence exactly where you are. God's put you where you may not want to be where you are, but you are where you are by divine design. And brothers and sisters, it starts by us saying, God, I want to live out the gospel. Now listen, we're going to do something a little different at the end. Dale's going to come right now. He's got some materials that he's going to lay out in front here. And if you're part of our prayer team or our evangelism team, I want you to come up here at the front. We're going to give you an opportunity to respond today. I've told you that sharing Christ is the riskiest thing that probably many of you will do. And today I'm going to ask you to do a risky thing. Up here in front, we've got some uh, resources, a book called the, Go- the Gospel Primer. It's basically a summary of what the gospel is. I promise you, you read this, you meditate on this, your heart will be so full of the gospel, you're going to want to share it. We've had someone donate these resources believing that if you had this in your hand, that you would be more inclined to be able to share the gospel. These folks are going to be up here at the end. In a moment, we're just going to go to a time of prayer. And they're up here because there's some of you today who God has worked in your life last week and this week. And you want to believe him to say, you know what? I want God to open a door. I want to be more passionate in this matter of evangelism. 
And what I'm asking you to do is, when we go to prayer, just kind of bow our heads. I want you to come up here and grab one of these resources. If you commit to read it, and then have one of these folks up here pray for you. To give you the power, the boldness to say, you know what? God, when, when the opportunity comes, give my brother or sister the boldness to be able to share the gospel. For some of you, this next step is just the first step of the beginning of a new season in your life. The resource alone isn't going to do it. Coming forward at being prayed for isn't going to do it. But it's a start to be able to say, Lord, you've, you've worked in my life. I don't care if you're in the bowl area or if you're in the stadium. These folks would love to pray for you. And some of you need to take that step today. So let's bow our heads and let's just meditate and pray and think. And those of you who need to respond to the Lord on this matter of evangelism, I want you to come right now. Just get it from where you're seated. Come forward. You're going to grab this resource and have some folks pray for you. Don't be shy. Let's do it. Let's go. Those of you who are seated, this doesn't fit your knee at the moment. That's great. No problem. You stay there. You just pray and ask the Lord to help you. Come, grab the resource. Gather around a circle of folks who could pray. We're believing that God wants to change the world today, friends. And he wants to do it through all of us. Those of you who are in line, you can just keep on coming up. There's resources all the way up here. Grabbing groups of twos and threes, maybe even someone you don't know, and just grab someone near you and just pray. Don't go back to your seat without praying with somebody, but just say, Lord, here I am. I want you to open a door. God, would you open my mouth? Would you open their hearts? Father in heaven, this morning we are so grateful that you want to transform our lives so that we could transform the world. And would you forgive us, would you forgive me for the many times that we've blown it and just been so concerned about our our own little lives, our own arena of existence and neglected the reality of why you've placed us in the world. We want to be a different kind of people. We want to be bold and we need you to empower us. So would you help us today? Lord, give us grace to open our mouths so that you can use us for the advancement of your kingdom. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters that this week we would be deployed into the world to transform it for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Chuck's going to continue to play. There's a number of you who are waiting in line. Don't leave. Just, just we'll take care of this in the in-between time of our transition of our services. If you're seated, so glad you've come today. We uh, want to keep kind of an attitude and a spirit of prayer here as we uh, meet together and pray at the end of the service. But thanks for coming today. God bless you. I love you, College Park. Transform the world, all right? Go do that. God bless you.